Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. On today's episode, we're discussing the biggest milestone in decision space history. Then, we'll delve into 10 decision spaces we want to explore imminently on this show, if possible, and why we want to explore them. And then we'll close the show by talking about a new book-related project and aspirations for this show in the year 2022. Thank you so much for joining us. Brendan, thank you for joining me on this journey and on today's episode. How are you doing today? Yeah, thank you so much, Jake. I'm so, I'm great. We're recording Decision Space, which means it's one of the best days of the week. It's like, I feel like it's a non-starter at this point. When I wake up and it's Decision Space recording day, I get giddy. I get excited. We're going to talk about games. It's going to be good. This is such an interesting, like, let's spill the beans. This is episode 50. I mean, isn't that pretty crazy? Really? It is pretty crazy. It's it feels like a really big milestone, but I think what excites me most about it is I feel like we both have this feeling of there's so much more to come with decision space. So we'll look back on this milestone as being a beginning in some ways, not this like amazing achievement, which gives me this mixed feeling of like, yes, we we got to episode 50. We have all this momentum, but like, I want to go further. I want to see what's beyond, right? Definitely. And it, it's kind of funny because we had like our end of the year episode. Now we've got like episode 50. And in two weeks, it'll be episode 52, which will be one year of weekly podcast releases. So we've got like milestone, 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 which is just awesome. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think this is a great accomplishment to get here and more amazing things to come. So Brendan, do you want to announce our big huge announcement at the top of the show yeah i think we we should do it so the big huge announcement is that jake and i have decided that we are going to launch a patreon for the show and the reason for doing this is we basically just want to give people the opportunity who value the show to give back uh, and monetarily support the show if you listen to decision space you are a member of the decision space community if you want to be uh, and we appreciate every second you've ever spent listening to the podcast for all the people in our discord all the moments you've spent in our discord there or playing games with people in our game group on board game arena or yukata um, but i think jake and i have big hopes and dreams for the show and we've heard from some of you that you want a way to give back and support what time would be better than now it's a new year we have big hopes for the future and i think there's ways that we found to be able to give back and create some added value for people who do want to support the show in this way. So I'm really excited about it. And I hope all of you listeners will be too. Um, we're going to read through each tier of the Patreon and briefly discuss them. But I want to give Jake a second too to sort of talk about why we're doing this and his thoughts on Patreon as well. Brendan, I think you nailed it. We spend a lot of time creating a show that we're really proud of uh, and wanted to give people the opportunity to say thanks and let us know if the show has value to you. This is a way that you can now do it in addition to the other ways that you have already done, which is chatting with us in the discord, sharing the show with your friends, reviewing our show on iTunes or wherever else you listen to it. Like those are also great ways to say thank you and that this show has value to you. Jumping in from the post-production to say we're going to talk about our Patreon tiers for the next three or four minutes. 
If you're not interested in that, that is totally fine. No hard feelings. Feel free to click the timestamp and just skip to the next spot, which will be the start of our mission planning section of the episode. If you are interested in the Patreon, please do go ahead and listen to the next part. And one thing we forgot to mention, pretty important, you can find our Patreon at decisionspacepodcast.com slash Patreon or at patreon.com slash decision space. And I will put the link to that in the show notes. If you are interested in supporting us financially in Patreon, you should know that that contribution will go right back into improving this show. And we are truly grateful. All right, back to the show. But yeah, let's get right into the tier. Let's not spend too much time on this, but just let people know because Brendan, you've been working really hard to, to make this look cool. And we've been pretty thoughtful about the tiers. So yeah, so the idea is, as you all know, Jake and I are every week, we hop into the interdecisional spaceship, right? And we're on this mission to explore decision spaces everywhere and get a little bit more in depth. So all of our Patreon levels play into this a little bit. And like Jake said, we won't belabor them too much. But the crew tier is a $5 tier, so $5 per month. Uh, if you pledge to this tier, you get access to The Bridge, our special Patreon Discord channel. It's a newly created thing. We'll give you some backroom conversations with Jake and I about the future of the show, things that are on our mind, all things decision space, um, and really maybe an opportunity to just ask us questions generally. Um, this tier also gets you access to the opportunity to periodically vote on which games we'll cover in episodes of Decision Space to come, something that we hope to do, I think, about quarterly, maybe a little bit more often. We'll throw a poll up and sort of say, these are the decision spaces we think we're going to cover or we're interested in, or maybe even give you all the opportunity to submit game ideas that we could add to the poll. Uh, finally, this tier also gets you access to all of our show notes. This is something that I'm really excited about. It's a behind the scenes look at how Jake and I make decision space. There's 50 shows so far where you can go back and look at everything that we've written in preparation for the show. Sometimes we write funny things in there. Sometimes there's uh, just a, a lot of, you know, preparation pieces. But I think it, it just if you're a fan of decision space, it might be fun seeing how we plan out these episodes. So next up is the specialist tier. So this is $8 a month, you get all the previous rewards, of course. Uh, in addition, we'll send a personalized thank you letter in the mail, uh, which will include once a year, a decision space sticker that you can put on a water bottle, laptop, whatever you want to proudly show that you are a specialist on our crew. In addition to that, I think this is really fun. You get to create your own role in our Discord. So not only will you be a crew member on the interdecisional spaceship, uh, but you can choose what you want to be on that crew and we'll give you a special role in the Discord. So that could be the chief operations officer or the cardboard operation ensign or anything else you can think of. Maybe you want to be the blaster and just say, and then I started blasting. <laughs> you, can keep, <laughs> you can keep those uh, nasty, perilous decision space aliens uh, off, off our behind as we're sailing through decision space. You also get to pick your own custom color, which I think is cool as we build out the crew on our ship. The final option is a tier that I think is pretty aspirational for Jake <laughs> and I. We always like to give people the option to do things if they're interested, but know that this is a tier that is a big ask. Uh, and this is the co-pilot tier. It is $50 a month. Uh, it's all of the other rewards and all the other tiers. You get access to the exclusive co-pilot role in our Discord. How fancy. 
And once every six months, you get to work with Jake and I on an episode of Decision Space, uh, sort of giving us direction or dictation on what you would like the episode to be about, whether it's about a game or a discussion. And that's something that Jake and I would work with you on. And and yeah, we'd be excited to sort of brainstorm new ways to, I don't know, create decision space content with you. Yeah. And that's limited to just two, two slots. Yeah. And obviously for that role or anything on uh, this Patreon, like do not stretch yourself financially to support our show this is a show that is intended to be free and open to anyone to enjoy but we don't know who our audience is and you know if you find yourself in a position where you can give a little bit back the five dollar tier that's like a dollar 25 per episode i think personally that the show has that much value to me and if you feel the same way by all means come aboard Awesome. Completely seconded and agreed. I'll also say really quickly, I think that the letter that will go out once a year at least in the specialist tier will be really cool. Uh, Sort of a physical newsletter in our digital world letting you in to know Jake and I's thoughts on the past, present, and future of Decision Space that will be sort of an exclusive thing. I'll also say we have a goal. We want to have 10 patrons of any tier. And once that happens, we're considered ourselves all crewed up and we'll personally thank all 10 patrons live on the air as well on an episode of Decision Space once we hit that goal. So I'm just really excited about all of the conversations Jake and I have had in this past 50 episodes. I think I've learned things about games that I never imagined I would have going into this. And if you're in a position like that too, uh, maybe you'll consider supporting the show. But I think from here on out, Jake and I are not going to belabor the Patreon point. It's something that we want people to know exists, but we don't want to busy the time in our episodes with. So we'll probably mention it offhand occasionally. But we just thank all of you who are fans of Decision Space in any capacity. It's so awesome sort of leading this mission with you and having these conversations with Jake and ultimately with the rest of the community. So thank you for all the support in Decision Space so far. And I hope you're as excited as we are for the future of the show. Thank you, Brendan. With that Patreon information out of the way, let's get on to our show, starting with information for our pre-planners. So if you are a pre-planner, someone who likes to play along with us before episodes of Decision Space, you should know that upcoming is next week, we'll be covering Palaces of Carrara, which is available to play on Board Game Arena and Yukata, though we would recommend the Board Game Arena implementation for that one. Following that, we will be looking at Evolution Climate, specifically uh, an app version of the game, which is either out now or out very soon. And following those two episodes, we already have our next What We Talk About episode planned. It's going to be a big one that we're really excited about, and it's going to be exploring tempo in board games, maybe even a new way to talk about tempo, but that's still to be determined. So that's on the horizon, uh, what you can look forward to. If you have not played Palaces of Carrara, uh, definitely tune into next week's show. Jake and I will make sure you have all the info you need uh, to understand the the conversation. I think it's a really interesting game that doesn't get the play or the discussion that it maybe deserves. And there'll be some interesting lessons on decision spaces in that episode. So I promise, even if you've never heard of it, it's a Kramer and Kiesling game. Come in, listen to the episode. It's going to be good. So, Brendan, are you ready to get into our main topic today? Ten decision spaces we're eager to explore imminently on this podcast, if at all possible, starting with what's your first game on your list, Brendan? I am incredibly excited for this conversation, Jake, and you're just going to have to stop me. We're going to have to stop ourselves from discussing this first game for too long. So I know this could just turn into an episode about this game, I think. Uh, The first game on my list is Broom Service. This is an Alexander Pfister and Andreas 
Pelican game. It came out in 2015, and I picked it up over the holiday break, and Maya and I have played it a couple times now, and it started to just appear on the table. Maya, after we finished our last game, Maya's my wife, We she just set it up. She didn't ask, do you want to play again? She just like started putting the pieces together to just run it back, which is always an amazing feeling. But if you've never heard of Broom Service, Broom Service is a simultaneous action uh, delivery game, I guess resource collection delivery game, in which everyone is picking four cards of 10 cards that everyone shares in their hand to play in a given round. So you pick all those cards, then you take actions trying to deliver these potions to different towers or move through the board into different train types. But the the twist here is that whenever you play a card, you have to declare if you're playing that card as a brave witch, in which you get a, a very powerful added effect, or a cowardly witch, in which you don't have an added effect. Uh, why would you ever play it not brave in this case? Well, if someone in turn order following you has also chosen to play that card, they may say that they are in fact actually playing that card brave, and then you get no action at all. You are completely so out of luck. Uh, they get to do the brave action and play proceeds until all the cards have been played. You play seven rounds of this, trying to collect potions, deliver them to different towers, beat your opponents to different areas, charming away clouds that might block your paths. Uh, this game is, I would say one of the most cerebral games that we'll have covered on the show. It's all about understanding what your opponents want to do, getting in their way, and making sure they don't get in your, into yours. I think, Jake, if we do an episode on this, I'm going to pull your pull your arm and beg you that we call it Yomi Witches as the episode title, because it's all about reading the minds of your opponents. Yeah, it's funny that you say it's the most cerebral game, because I was at a uh, bachelor party this weekend for some friends kind of hold hold up in an Airbnb. So, of course, I brought some games and we had five players. And I was like looking at myself as like, what game is like the most just like pure fun, loud and like raucous that is like still a strategy game. And I end up grabbing, of course, broom service to fill that need. So like, while it is cerebral, I feel like it's also like one of the strategy games that you could just like have an awesome time being like belligerently drunk with your friends <laughs> as well. We didn't end up getting it played, but I'll save my thoughts for the show. I did have it listed as my number three favorite game of all time, I believe, or something along those lines. You know, that's that's where I stand. It's Fister's Masterpiece. Awesome. What's What's the next one on your list? So my first game that I is a decision space I want to explore imminently is a game I've played before on the digital implementation of it on Steam. And I recently picked up one of the box sets in our local buy sell trade group. And that game is BattleCon designed by D. Brad Talton Jr. and published by Level 99 Games. BattleCon is a game that we've been threatening to cover for <laughs> some time on decision space. Uh, <laughs> And what it is, is a two-player card game that simulates a fighting game in the two-dimensional fighting genre, right? So you can move only forwards and backwards towards your opponent. You're playing footsies with your opponent. So you're trying to make sure that uh, you move and position yourself in a way that they will be in range for your attack. But like you may be out of range for their attack if you're playing a character that is like a zoning type fighter that has maybe a, a ranged weapon or perhaps you're playing a bruising grappling character and you want to be charging down your opponent with your stun guard up so you can you know grab them and pin them in the corner and all you know play styles and things that'll be very familiar to people who 
know about the fighting game genre as my wonderful co-host Brendan Hansen knows all about, which is part of the reason I'm so excited to cover this game because Brendan, if you don't know, a little bit of decision space lore is actually an incredible esports commentator who covers fighting games uh, in arenas prior to COVID. And I just think it'd be so much fun to really explore this game. And I think it'd be a great vehicle not only to talk about this game, but to talk about uh, video fighting games as well. Brendan, what are your thoughts on BattleCon? BattleCon's a game I've wanted to play for a very long time. It's a game where, you know, fighting games are so awesome. The The decision space that fighting games offer is one of the most interesting decision spaces in any games I've ever played. But there's a lot of barriers that I would say exist to playing fighting games. They have this reputation for being really hard, whether it's sort of the classic like 1990s Street Fighter 2 inputs, keeping people from wanting to jump into it, just the quarter circle stuff. Uh, to, or to just, you know, playing competitive games. You really, it's tough to find equally skilled opponents. So I think you and I diving into BattleCon would be amazing. We'd probably be jumping into the system together and get right to the meat of what actually makes fighting games interesting, which is that they're about mind games and understanding your opponents, just like broom services, right? Yomi is actually a Japanese word for understanding the mind of your opponents. And generally, uh, two equally skilled player, the player who can understand their opponent's tendencies, their habits, what they're going to do in any given situation is going to come out on top. And that's what makes those games so interesting to me. They end up being exercises in empathy. So I, I think if we do want to delve into BattleCon, it'd be a nice one-two punch with room service. I've heard the online implementation is great. And there's a really cool system in BattleCon where you're sort of choosing two cards, each with a set of attributes that slot into each other each turn. So there's lots of ways to sort of combine your different moves. There's sort of one deck that's shared among all characters and then another deck that's unique to each character. Um, so I think that's a really neat system for board gamers too that just gets you going with this endless amount of possibilities. And it's one that is more burdensome to cover just because the nature of it than some of the other games we maybe have discussed before, which is the thing that could potentially prevent this from being on the show and has thus far. But I've got my fingers crossed that we can find time this year. So, Brendan, why don't you give us your next game? Okay, everyone's going to say I'm throwing Jacob Bone with this pick. I am not. I really want to play this game. But I say this because it is a 2009 Stefan Feld game. And this game is Macau. Macau is a game with a really novel mechanic that I think is why I'm most interested in exploring this decision space. Macau essentially is a resource collection game. Uh, I have not yet played it, but... At the start of each round, similar to his game Bruges, which is a big favorite of Jake's, one player rolls six different colored dice, uh, and then each player selects two of those die to basically add resources to their pool, but there's a twist. If the die displays a five, and let's say it's the blue die, you would then, if you select that, you'll get five blue cubes, but you won't get them for five turns. So there's this ship's wheel that you're putting those resources on. So the more resources that you would like, the longer you have to wait to get them. And I think that that's really interesting. Uh, I think Feld is at his best when he is playing with how greedy are you going to get. A lot of the fun of Castles of Burgundy to me is watching my plans fall apart. That never happens for Jake since he's like the most pro Castles of Burgundy player I've ever met. But for me, a lot of Feld is about hubris. And I think Macau is a system that really plays into that idea of how much can I push? Uh, how much do I want to quote unquote theoretically maximize the output, even though 
I'm sure the opportunity to mess yourself up and throw a wrench in your own plans by aiming a little bit too high is rife in Macau. There's also uh, this really cool deck of 96 cards that are all sort of have these various special abilities that reminds me of Bruges as well. So it's sort of pulling in a few different things from some of his systems. It's a game that comes up some, but isn't one of his most celebrated. So I'd like to get in and explore it and see what's there. Yeah, I would love to cover this game on the show. I've played it a couple of times on Yukata, and I'll say in those initial plays, it was like lukewarm. I didn't become obsessed with it like I did with Bruges. I haven't played it a hundred times online like I have with Castles of Burgundy, and it isn't one that is now like growing and growing on me every time I play it like Carpe Diem, but I haven't given it as much time and energy. So I'd love to see with some more dedicated plays, if I can sort of unlock what makes it so special to many people. And while it doesn't always come up as the top of Feld's list of games, as a, you know, Feld fanboy myself, I've actually sought out conversations with some people uh, in, in various online communities. And I feel like among fans of Feld, Macau is definitely one that's like often in people's like, top two or three games so i think it's one that i'd be excited to play more the my experience with like the deck of cards kind of threw me off a little bit but i don't want to say too much now because i think definitely let's make a plan let's set our course and let's cover this game soon on the show awesome that's it and this was one that's free to play online on yukata so that definitely increases the chances so if you're curious about checking out macau and reporting back uh go go have a look on yukata my next game is I think one that will be really exciting to a large section of our uh, community in a way that we don't typically feature. And that is because this game is, in my opinion, and this is actually going to be controversial. They're going to hate that I said this, the best (laughs) solo game of all time. And that is Arkham Horror, the living card game designed by Nate French and MJ Newman. And I think many other Designers have contributed to the many different expansions and campaigns, uh, and that is published by Fantasy Flight. If you aren't familiar with the Arkham Horror card game, it is a scenario-based game where you will take one investigator. There's a huge element of deck construction, so you can take uh, a, however big your collection of investigator cards is to create their starting deck, picking the weapons you'll have, the tools you'll have to investigate. Uh, So that might be a flashlight or a magnifying glass. And you might pair that with a, I don't know, brass knuckles and a shotgun. Uh, And there's all kinds of different investigators, each have having different special abilities and restrictions on how you will craft your deck. That makes it one a game that has just enormous amount of creativity and replayability in that aspect alone. And then each scenario has different win conditions. Typically, they involve, you know, defeating a big bad. Maybe you'll need to find an item that will let you defeat it, or you'll have to discover enough clues or hold off the acolytes for enough time. All kinds of different uh, objectives. It's it's amazing in my plays, which is not exhaustive of all the content that there is out there uh, by a long ways, just how much this system allows the designers to be creatives and do things in a new way in all of my plays i'm consistently wowed by the design work the storytelling ability and just how rock solid the mechanisms are in this game and i think because we don't do solo games much of course you can play this cooperatively as well that 
this would be a really fun one to feature on the show and sort of dive into a very unique and punishing decision space. What are your thoughts on Arkham Horror, the living card game, Brendan? I have a few. Okay, I have a few questions. One, do I get a brief of the... So, like, you get a brief of the mission you're going to play that has, like, a little bit of info, then you build your deck for it, then you play the mission? Is that the idea? The missions are basically packed into campaigns. So, you would get the starting of the campaign, which is, like, you'd be meeting with the professor at the university. And this is all text you're, like, reading out of a little booklet. And he's like, my assistant has gone missing, and he had this rare book. You better go over to the museum. And then you play the mission that's like at the museum and you're like breaking into the museum and looking for this book. And then based on what you achieve in that mission, there there are different outcomes that may send you on different paths throughout the campaign or, you know, or you'll be able to add different cards. You also, there's a system where you gain experience. So the better you do, kind of the more cards you can like add in your deck to level up. It's very cool. And everything beyond that first blurb, you're reading is generated through a deck of cards so you basically have like an agenda deck that you're working Uh through and then an act deck next to it so it's like you have to accomplish this first goal then you flip over the act now you're on act two and that could be something different and you're always sort of just racing against the clock it's a really cool and fun fun game you're definitely not the only person who i've heard gush about arkham horror lcg so i feel like if there's a game that's gonna force me to bring something cthulhu into my home, this might be a good one. I've survived this long, um, but I think that it seems like it's, it would be right up my alley. You seem to really love it. A lot of people out there seem to really love it. It seems like it'd be good. And uh, solo games that we've covered in the past have gotten a really good reception uh, on our show as well. So I'd, I'd be excited to delve into this one. It's a little bit more burdensome again because it has a huge cost associated with it. Like to pick up a whole campaign is like a lot of money. There's no way in sugarcoating that. And I think it's a difficult one to play online as well. What would I buy? What should I buy if if I was going to buy it? So if you were to buy it, you would just get the core set. Buy the core set. Okay. And that has three, like a mini campaign that's like three scenarios long. And then subsequent campaigns are like eight scenarios long. But you need the core set. There's no standalone, like, new... The new one that you bought, for example, that just came out, that is an expansion that uses the core set. Okay, cool. Yeah, you need the core set because it has, like, the components that you'll play with, like, the life and the numbers that'll go into the chaos bag. More on that later, hopefully. A chaos bag? Yeah, so you get get the core set. A lot of people recommend getting two, but just get one. That sounds great. Let's talk about it more off air. It seems like we're going to get to this one eventually, but we'll we'll see. No promises. No promises. No promises on any of these, but let us know of these, which ones you'd be most excited for us to kind of bump up to the top of our list. Yes. My next one, if you are in need of a hospital and you are die, you're in luck because I am interested in exploring uh, a Stan Kordonsky game. Uh, this is a design by Stan Kordonsky and Mike Nudd that came out in 2018. Friend of the show, Tony Faber, is a big fan of this designer. And the game is Dice Hospital. Dice Hospital is a uh, it's a dice manipulation game in which there are, I think, the most interesting mechanic. There's three differently colored dice in the game, which all represent patients coming to your hospital. Over the course of the game, every round, you're going to get a new input of patients, and they're going to come in these little ambulances that range, uh, you sort the die into low value to high value die. So like, oh, this is the ambulance full of all these really sick patients. They're only ones and twos. They really need help all the way up to like the 
this die is at four or five or uh, four or five or six. And someone is, of course, a die is, of course, healed and released from your hospital once they move from six or higher. They are healed and they are released. So um, every round you get to pick, do you want an ambulance full of pretty unhealthy people, which could potentially give you the, a bonus? Or are you going for uh, it lets you go first in the next round. It potentially gives you a blood bag, which is helpful. Uh, and then also, or do you want to just take the healthy people and make them work in your hospital? You're also building up your hospital uh, by getting new specialists who are better at healing certain types of patients, uh, depending on their the color of dye or the value. Or you're uh, getting new buildings in your hospital that are allowing you to sort of heal certain configurations of dice. So it's it's kind of like a simultaneous shared puzzle game, which I don't think are generally my favorite, but something has really drawn me to this that's made me want to explore it a little bit more. Uh, I've been I've played a game or two in our Discord with our playgroup uh, in there on Board Game Arena, and I would say it's interesting enough that I want to keep playing to decide if I'm interested in playing it even more. Is it a competitive game? Yes, it is a competitive game. Another question. Did you say once somebody's healthy, you can just conscript them to work in your hospital? No, no, no. <laughs> that would be great if you were like... I was like picturing that. It's like, you're fine, sir. Here, just grab these scrubs instead. <laughs> Take this IV bag and run to room 212. No, you, you, every round you're choosing between a new building, a new room typed out of your hospital or a new specialist, but that's independent of the patients that you're healing, which is how you're getting points throughout the game is by healing these patients. And this one's a pretty simple game. Is that right? Like, yeah, rules complexity wise. It's not super complex. It's quicker than I, I thought it would be, especially in the board game arena implementation online. It's really snappy um, and pretty straightforward. Yeah, I would say, oh, what's a good analog in terms of weight? I should not have put myself on the spot like that. I'd say it's it's sort of the kind of game where if people had played Carcassonne, this would be a good next game. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. Sort of that next step. Yep. game cool well I, I mean i'm always interested to try a game once on board game arena especially if it's a one that's not going to take too much time to learn yeah. um, so i mean i'm definitely we'll we'll seek out an opportunity to play it soon amongst people in our discord and maybe we'll have that conversation to see if it will rise to the level of a feature show jake what is your next decision space? okay so i'm just gonna preface this now like I feel like Brendan is doing games that are like very like plausible to cover on the show. And I'm really shooting for the fences, especially with the next three. <laughs> are you looking at my list? He says that after saying Battlecon and Arcafor LCG. But yes, go on. Okay, so I made a resolution this year that for me, my gaming resolution is to get outside of my comfort zone. I feel like as much time and energy that I've invested into this hobby... I still have a ton of blind spots of games and especially publishers that I've never played. So the next three all fit into this resolution for one rate or another. And the first one is that I've never played an 18xx game before. I'm not sure if I am the an 18xx gamer at heart. You know, like the train game genre has just not been a hit for me. I'm only... Uh, kind of mid to lukewarm on Brass Birmingham, which everybody else who's ever played it is pretty convinced is the greatest game of all time. So take that with a grain of salt. But the game I put on my list that I want to start that journey to 18xx land is Shikoku 1889, designed by Yasutaka Ikeda uh, and published originally by Deep Thought Games, LLC, which I absolutely love as the name of a game company, by the way. 
Um, and more recently, I think it was just finished on GameFound, a collaboration between Grand Trunk Games and Wild Haven uh, to put out a brand new, beautiful version of this game. I watched the GameFound video and it, you know, despite my misgivings about the train game genre, about 18xx, it made me want to play this game. It was such like a well-crafted video. It made it look accessible. It made it look fun. Um, doing a little bit further research, 1889 is one of the three or four 18xx games that is just always recommended as an entry point to the genre. So what this game is, it's set. Guess, guess when it's set? I think it's set in 1889. Dude, you're, I can't, <laughs> I can't slip anything by you. So yeah, it's set in 1889, based in Japan, and this is a, a basically a two to six player game that hits a lot of the notes for what I've heard about 18xx in that you're purchasing shares of railroads, uh, you're working to build out those railroad track paths based on whoever has the most shares in the company getting to make the decision. As trains get older, they kind of are rust, rust and then get moved out of the game, so you have to be sort of thinking ahead about how many trains to purchase and buy and upgrade and all that. But then also it's a game where you're trying to get stocks and, and make money. Um, so I'm just throwing out 18xx game words. I know this one is available to play on 18xx.games. So that might be a, a good way to try it out. And also, I just personally really like Japan. I got to visit there once. So I'm always intrigued by uh, sort of ja Japan as a setting for games. So for all those reasons, I think 1889 is the 18xx game that I would most want to try first. And I do want to get outside of my comfort zone and try an 18xx game this year. Obviously, playing it enough to cover on the show is a huge reach. But Brendan, I would like to ask you to play this game with me at some time this year. And, and maybe we could even just briefly mention that play and how it went on the pod i would love to do that uh, i've actually read the rule book for shikoku 1889 already uh so this is one game sometimes i have a little baby sometimes in the middle of the night he will wake up and i will read him board game rule books to help him fall back to sleep <laughs> so we read the rule book together over multiple nights and i just really enjoyed reading this rule book um so it's it's one that i'd really like to jump into the stock round seems really interesting some of the board with the switches and the way you're trying to connect to ports seems really cool and i'm very interested in 18 uh, xx games as well but they're not something that i have a ton of experience with either so i think we should get it played on the podcast uh great pick jake all right thank you i got i got a win brendan what is your number three game on your list my is my number four Oh, but right. all right. My my number good. Four We're doing game. better than I thought. Time yeah. was. <laughs> this game is if anyone is in our play group, if you're in our Discord, you know I'm already playing the Cowboy Boots Office game. This is my second Alexander Fister game on the list. This is the 2018 mega hit Great Western Trail. This is not a game that I have ever played. It is a game with well, I could have said that two weeks ago, but now I've played it about 20 times. <laughs> but <laughs> I, when I created this list, it was a game that I had never played. Great Western Trail is a little bit of a deck building game. It's a little bit of, it's a lot of bit of a rondelle game. Uh, a lot of people call this affectionately a rondelle building game where you're sort of doing this loop of running your cattle up to Kansas City over and over again, and you're building buildings onto the board to enhance what your trip will be, what your path will be. There's these sort of three different employee types, which form the basis for the core strategies of the 
game, whether it's going cowboys and really investing in your cattle herds as you get better cows into your deck, or maybe you're going builders and you're really invested in trying to enhance the building locations on your board and maybe you'll build a mansion on the way there. Or maybe you're going engineers and you're all about trying to get your train up this track to one, create scoring opportunities for you down the line, or maybe in the short term, just limit how much you're paying when you're making deliveries via train at Kansas City and other cities uh, around. I will say that I don't want to delve too much into my thoughts on the game, but I've played it 20 times, so you could probably assume I don't hate the game. It's much different than I expected, and I think its decision space is would be a really interesting one to discuss on the show, both in terms of the interactivity offered there and the way in which we make decisions in games with other people's input but sort of the, the sort of, I, I don't know, the passive interaction of it and fascinates me in sort of in how um, indirectly mean it can be. But also, I don't know. It's really fun, Jake. It's a really cool game. What do you think? What do you think of Great Western Trail? Can we cover it on the show? Please, please, please. I, I think this one is close to 100% lock to be covered on the show this year. Great. Yeah, I mean, you've been playing it a ton. It's a game that has a, a, a large following. It has earned a large following. It has earned a second edition. It has earned three other editions, apparently, that are coming out in different settings soon. Uh, so I think for all those reasons, you know, we, we want to jump on that hype train and, uh, you know, give it the decisions phase treatment. I don't want to give too much about my thoughts now. I'll say I've played it twice now online without reading the rules and i'm just like what the heck is going on <laughs> i played it once like like many years ago i guess when it first came out i had a good enough time i think there's a ton to explore there i just haven't even begun to like read the rule book thought about it <laughs> i'm just like going around in circles like oh boy i don't think i'm doing very good the real book is, the rule book is not as long as you th- would think it will be yeah. i bet you could get through it real quick no, it's a complex it. game though there's a lot going on yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I only like simple games like 1889 and my next <laughs> game, a resolution game for me because it's a publisher that's always intrigued me, but a game, but a publisher that I've never played any of their games where with 18xx, I know I wanted to start with a simple entry point. For whatever reason, I feel like with this publisher, I want to just jump right into the deep end and play Food Chain Magnate designed by Jerome Duman and Joris Weersinga and I'm sure I messed up those names, so I apologize for that. And this is published by Splatter Games. Food Chain Magnet is heavy, heavy, heavy strategy economic game where players are building out their own food restaurants. I think the core of the game is on your turn, you'll be picking what type of employees to hire. So you might get a server at your restaurant, or you might get a hiring manager, or you might get a cook or whatever. I don't know what the actual roles are, but each of those things give you some type of uh, advantage in the game. And then once you've made those decisions, there's like a core economic engine that runs where the people in the town will go to the various restaurants and purchase items from them based upon location uh, and proximity to houses and also the demand for certain goods, uh, which players can manipulate through advertising managers and that type of thing. So one player might uh, be selling the cheapest, best pizza in town, but all of a sudden, everyone in town wants pizza and lemonade. And the only place they can get pizza and lemonade both is from 
this other shop across town. So now they're going there and the person with the good cheap pizza gets nothing and the expensive bad pizza person gets everything. You know, I haven't learned the game yet, but it's one that really intrigues me. I think it's the uh, highest rated uh, game, at least on Board Game Geek from Splatter Games, one that I would love to play again, a big stretch to cover on the show. But definitely a game I'm going to try my best to get played in 2022. And who knows, you know, never say never. Yeah, Splatter's a tough nut to crack for the show because I think we love doing our due diligence and getting lots of plays in of the games we cover. Obviously, that's tough for Splatter games. They're a little bit heavier. And longer. And a little bit longer. Yeah, exactly. I'm really interested in Bus. Food Chain Magnate is not one I've played either, but it's, it's one I'm very interested in as well. It's definitely one where I've heard if there's a table full of people being okay with conceding games when you know they've been lost before they've been played out uh, because things can go really off the rails for people early on i think the ethos of splatter games i'm not sure if this is just what people say about the company or if it's something that they've actually said themselves so i apologize if i'm attributing this quote incorrectly but it's that you know if you can't lose a game on the first turn why have a first turn (laughs) and i think i've heard that's very much true in food chain magnate which doesn't really appeal to me <laughs> just the idea that there's this publisher that's putting out these really interesting weird unique and challenging games and that's a and, and that actually has gained a lot of traction there's a lot of people out there that do love board games and love these games and i've never explored it all it means i want to check it out and at least form an opinion myself rather than just assuming i already know i'm not going to enjoy it okay my next decision space i have spent many an hour in the past two weeks three weeks with maya playing cascadia a tiling game from flat out games that is incredible that is not my next game i was looking at the list i was like he's messing up he's saying <laughs> that was on my last mission planning list but this time we so we actually recently ordered promo cards for cascadia because we want to keep playing it and in that order i picked up calico another game by flat out games uh, that came out before Cascadia, 2020, designed by Kevin Russ. That's a tile-laying puzzle game about quilts and cats. It's another game where it's a really simple sort of setup where you're just given a few options each turn and the game descends into pure agony, I've heard, where there are really specific tiles that you can need to get amazing conversions in terms of points. So blocking becomes very important in this game and things can go I guess not off the rails, but can unravel very quickly for you. So Cascadia, I would not describe as being a game of that sort. It's much more relaxing, a little bit more even keeled. There's definitely things that can go wrong for you. And there's definitely tiles that you can really need, especially late game or tokens to come out. But I'm excited to to pivot into the, the more uh, sharpened tooth flat out game, as it were, uh, and explore that decision space, at least with Maya, if not on the show with you, Jake. Yeah, it's really interesting. I played Cascadia once and it felt very open and that openness meant that turns just like whipped around the table and that created like a really fun experience that separated it from some of the more challenging puzzly games in my collection like uh, uh, something like Sagrada. Um, And then with Calico, I haven't played it myself, but all the discussion I've heard about it is the opposite, right? It's like, this is like, this game will break your brain, like the most challenging, puzzly, AP-inducing game ever. So it's so funny uh, that it seems like this same publisher has really answered that with this other game, Cascadia. 
and playing Cascadia and enjoying it definitely does make me want to go back and check out Calico. I haven't played Cascadia as much as you by far. I've just played it that once. So for me, I feel like I, I'm more intrigued to play Cascadia. Like that's the game that I, I, I think that I will like more because I think I just have other games that are already kind of in that really puzzly niche uh, already in my collection. But Calico yeah. is by all accounts a great game and I think would be one that would I'm definitely interested in checking out. One another cool difference between them is in Cascadia, there's four tiles that come out and they're all paired with different wildlife tokens. So you're always just picking a pair of token and tile to add to your board. And in Calico, you have a hand of three patches and you pick one of them to play on your turn. So I think it offers a little bit more planning potentially. I haven't played Calico, but hopefully more to report soon. Jake, what is your final decision space? All right, my final decision space is also a game type that a lot of people in this hobby passionately speak about and love. Uh, and it is a game that perhaps furthest from my comfort zone of any that we that I typically play that we've covered on this podcast before. It is a war game. It is published by GMT Games. So those are both two new things to me. And it is also a coin game. Uh, which is basically counterinsurgency game in short, and it is an entire system. And the coin game I have picked is Cuba Libre, designed by Jeff Grossman and coin system inventor Volko Runke. I already mentioned published by GMT Games. So Cuba Libre is based on the Castro insurgency in Cuba from the years 1957 to 1958. Uh, what the coin games, counterinsurgency games does is it gives each player a different faction with a different win condition in Cuba Libre. You can be the Batista dictatorship and they win by getting support amongst the people or you are the syndicate, which represents organized crime in Cuba and they win by getting casinos up and running and generating resources. You could also be the directorio, which was sort of the more student uh, organized intelligence group and they win by gaining some combination of population and base control or you could be the july 26th or the 26th of july movement uh, which is the castro brothers and che guevara uh, and they win by you know, they were the actual winners of this you know historical moment um, and they win by gaining support amongst the people and controlling a cer certain number of bases on the board. So I think it's super fascinating when you think about all types of different factions. I think these coin games are intended to create moments where players will need to negotiate while trying to achieve, sneak their win condition into play uh, while keeping an eye to make sure everybody's keeping everyone else in check. Um the coin system is also a card game system. And I, I mean, I love card games. So when I think about going into uh, kind of the war gaming side of the hobby, I think coin is a really good place for me to start. Basically, there's always going to be two different cards out. Players can sort of pick to take an event on one of the cards or their special action. But if they take the special action, then their opponent gets to take one of the events on the card or they can let their opponent go first to take the next card that's done, but then the opponent gets to go first. Rules intense, as I understand it, a difficult one to learn, but supposedly one that's worth the effort to get into. So I, I just want to also give credit I uh, there if you're interested in more. There's a really, really great essay about the whole coin system on 
Board Game Geek by Candice Harris. So I read that and it made me really excited to sort of dive into this and explore these games. Brendan, what are your thoughts on coin overall? So coin is something that I came into my sort of awareness many, many years ago. And I was always interested in coin games, mostly because of the nature of your asymmetric goals. I, I think that so often board games put us positions where we all sort of want the same thing at the table. And then you come into conflict with each other fighting over resources. But our objectives are relatively similar. And I think coin is so much closer. It's trying to simulate real life, right? It's a simulation of a real life interaction by putting you in the role of these different uh, factions within that setting. And all coin games do this. They're based on sort of uh, real life situations. And I think it it sounds fascinating. It seems like it'd be a really unique decision space to delve into and i'd be thrilled to sort of get the opportunity to play my first coin game and cuba libre is the one that comes up most often from people who are sort of like if you're going to play a first coin game play cuba libre i think you also it helps to be interested in the history a little bit and i think i am interested in the history here so cuba libre would be a great one to jump into yeah i think it was actually designed to be a good entry point to the coin system so i was like one of the design goals for this so definitely the one i would want to start with as well and i think that there are a few people already in the discord that have already been sort of talking about organizing one of these games i think it's a game you basically have to play real time we play a lot of our game asynchronously to prepare for this out of all the games i think this is probably going to be the the most challenging one to play and cover on the show but i think it'd be really interesting just to check out a new part of the hobby and uh, potentially give it some coverage on decision space even if you know we forego our typical trying to play a game 10 times and to say okay we played this twice or three times and these are our thoughts after that number of games Cool. Hopefully y'all found some games that you thought were interesting there, whether they are games you've played and love or new games. I would really appreciate you letting us know, whether it's on BoardGameGeek, in our Discord, or by sending us an email at decisionspa at gmail.com about what you think about some of the games we're interested in. But I think with that, let's move on to the sort of next quick topic. We won't talk about this for too long, and it's, it is the first time you're hearing about it, but it won't be the last. And that's that Jake and I are planning on covering a book on the show. And we would love for all of you to come along on that journey with us. So the game is Art as an Agency, and it's by C.T. Wynn. And this is a book that's come at the recommendation of a lot of people whose opinions we respect on games, uh, Krill being one of them in our Discord. And I have a quick blurb here, and then maybe that I can read to give you some info on the book. But we want to invite you all to read along with us if you'd like, or if you don't want to. Uh, we're going to dedicate a whole show to what we've learned reading this book as well. And we'll read it over the course of two months together. So yeah, Jake help. Yeah. What you're talking about, what you're describing is a book club. So <laughs> yes, this is the, what it is. <laughs> so it's the Decision Space Book Club. We're all going to be reading this book, discussing it in Discord. We're going to kind of chunk it out into sections so people will know when to, to read. If you want to come along with this journey, please do. I'll post the link to the book on the show notes of this podcast. You can also find it in our Discord, of course. I think it's something like 10 or 12 dollars to purchase a digital copy of so you know not not too bad at all uh and it's it's won a lot of awards as being like a really kind of innovative look at games as art um and that's something that really interests me so you know i'm excited to do it i think it's going to be fun i hopefully it's not going to feel like uh homework but it's a class in kind of the best type of way right we'll have we'll be all learning from each other uh and 
this book and then we'll bring it to you on the podcast to kind of to share our concluding thoughts on it. So something new, just a new idea. Maybe it'll be a big flop and nobody will follow along or maybe there'll be a lot of discussion about it. And either way, I think it's kind of like an innovative new approach for our podcast to kind of bring in some a little bit more of like an academic lens to uh, the games that we love to play and enjoy. So that's sort of one of our aspirations for 2022, trying this book report, book club project on Decision Space. I'll share another big aspiration for me for 2022. So this is kind of the way I'm thinking about this, Brendan, is like a resolution for the podcast, right? Not for us personally, but what would we like to do if possible? What would we like to achieve this year? So my kind of first and biggest aspiration for 2022 is to collaborate with more content creators. Uh, it's something we did a little bit in the first year of the podcast. We had uh, Jamie Stegmeyer on a couple of times, Paul Solomon, another designer of, of games like Honey Buzz and Genotype, because those are people that I just know in real life. So it was sort of easy to kind of broach that topic there. Uh, we also collaborated with Tony Faber from the Two Wood for a Wheat podcast. And basically every time we've collaborated with someone on the show, it's just been an awesome experience that people have really responded to. So I think if it's fun for us and fun for our listener, I think I want to make that a bigger effort this year. I want to reach out to more designers and also other content creators. Like it would really be a dream to get to work with some of the people that really inspired me uh, to want to create a podcast in the first place. A reach would be like someone from the Board Game Barrage podcast or Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. But I think that would just be like tremendously fun to have some of those folks on here and see if they can kind of get down to our decision space style. Definitely. I think that for me, Jake, the biggest thing in terms of aspirations, I have twofold. One, I really want us to get to 100,000 total downloads or more by the end of 2022. I think it's a little bit of a reach for our show, but I think if we're not reaching for the stars, why, why bother reaching at all? Uh, I think that would be a great sign that some of the conversations that we have are really creating value for people. And I think that they will. They just have to find their audience. We've already seen a lot of growth on the show so far, and I've learned a lot, and I'd love for more people to be learning along with us. And I think the energy of even more people being brought in the conversation would push us even further in terms of how we are doing in our endeavor of looking at decision spaces differently, looking about them with a critical lens in a way that we're really analyzing and thinking about games decision space first. And that's my second goal. I don't want us to slow down in terms of thinking about our lexicon of terms and ideas that we use to analyze games. I think the way we talked about the types of decision spaces was really helpful last year. The way that we looked at the size of decision spaces was interesting. The way that we talked about theme, even though it wasn't directly tied to decision spaces, though kind of was in the way that decision spaces real made us realize that it's sort of like a gentle theme. Of, do you really feel like what you're supposed to be doing? And did those decisions enable that? I think it was really illuminating for me. So I want to do more of that. And I want to bring more critical thinking and push myself to continue to think about games differently. That's fantastic, Brendan. I absolutely echo that. And I think, you know, so much on this show, you've been really the voice pushing this like critical lens. And I think it's added tons of value to me and how I think about games and to our audience as well. Um, so I absolutely appreciate and value so much that you're constantly pushing that and bringing that to the show. Thank you. My second aspiration for and last 
aspiration for the year. I actually have a lot more aspirations, but the only other one I'm going to share now is perhaps a reach, but I think plausible. I would like to host a decision space meetup in 2022. Of course, this is going to be pending on the state of the world. I mean, and it will be in the United States, unfortunately, for because I know we have a lot of international listeners. But even if it's maybe we both get the opportunity to go to a con and we pick one con this year towards the end of the year and it's there. Or maybe it's a, you know, because Brendan can't travel because of the baby. Maybe we're all heading to uh, the East Coast and we're going to hang out in an Airbnb and it's going to be me, you and three other people that can make the trip and we'll spend a couple of days playing board games. Uh, I think that would be incredibly fun. You know, to hang out with you in person for the first time ever would be fun. Uh, playing games with listeners would be fun. So, and of course, because we're Decision SPA on social media everywhere, we're calling it the Decision Spa Day. And I want that to happen so badly at some point this year for anyone at all who's interested. Yeah, maybe we'll start planning sooner rather than later to make sure it happens. So if you want to be a part of the first ever Decision Spa Day, hit us up in the Discord. We're going to make it happen. I really love that idea. I think it's a great aspiration. So I'm just going to tip my hat to that one as well. Uh, I would love to play games in person with you, with other Decision Space listeners. And maybe if the, depending on the world being how it is, maybe it does end up being a virtual spa day. And then in the future, there's the opportunity for more. We'll see. Hopefully it could be something in person because that would be so cool. And maybe we'll make everyone opt into if they are, hello, my name is Key Lover or hello, my name is Key Hater name tags. Uh, no, I think we should do real name tags. But I, I'm not going to forget that idea, Jake. Uh, and I will say, I really quickly, I want to circle back to the book club just for one second, because I think we did a bad job about stipulating how long people would have to read it. So we'll go more into this on the show or in the discord where the book club will be happening. So if you want to join, join our discord, the link is in the show notes, but we're going to start it in two weeks on Wednesday, January 26th. And then every two weeks, we'll read a quarter of the book and discuss it together in that discord. So we'll sort of read it slowly over the course of two months, and then we'll do an episode on it. So we won't check in about it again, except to maybe remind people that this is going on and you can catch up, uh, maybe share little nuggets here and there, and then don't think you'll hear too much about it for two months, and then we'll probably do an episode. We will do an episode on it sometime after those two months are up. Okay, thank you, Jake. Sorry. Awesome. Well, with those aspirations, that brings us to the end of our episode this week. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, not a traditional episode, a little bit of a Patreon ad, a little bit of a celebration for achieving 50 episodes, and a little bit of future planning for... Uh, the future of this decision space mission. We want to thank you all for being here with us and for tuning in this week. As always, you can find us on Twitter. Brendan is at Burnside BH. I'm at Jake Freed. The show is at Decision SPA. We also have a blog titled Decision Space on Board Game Geek. We have a Discord, which we've mentioned a lot, which you can join in the show notes. There will be a link. And we also have a Patreon page, which you can get to from our website, decisionspacepodcast.com slash Patreon. We want to say thank you to Embry for our intro and outro music, their song, Reach Out. Other than that, just got to say goodbye. See you next week. See you all with Palaces of Carrara. Come tonight.